Hello and welcome to the 2022 Build Barbershop series. Uh, my name is Isaiah Anderson Jr. and this is part one of four series that we'll be doing. I'm going to turn it over to my man, Dr. Dre. Hello everyone, I'm Dre with part of Build Brothers United Leadership Development. Give a little bit of history of the Barbershop series. When we started in 2013, early 2014, uh, we started taking a talk. We were trying to do some work in the, in the black community, especially specifically around issues that impact black men and boys. And so we work with local barbers, you know, to go out there and offer free haircuts, but also regularly bringing the conversation to where brothers are having conversations, you know, and really steering those conversations in different, different directions. You know, so we're still in a pandemic, in the middle of a pandemic, so we've had to plan some things out, do some things differently, but we're happy to be here at Axon Stage working with y'all and the community to try to provide this opportunity to still have some serious conversations around things that impact our community. So I'm going to kick it back over to Z. And we'd like to welcome you again to Axon Stage, where we are on the set of Two Trains Running by August Wilson, a play that will be premiering here at Axon Stage April 21st through May 1st. Uh, and I'm going to write real quick, just introduce you to the cast here and let you know who's going to be involved in our today's dialogue. My name is Craig Jackson, and I play the character Wes. My name is Curtis Henderson, and I play the character of Hamble. I'm Dierra Williams, and I play the character Lisa. John Tay, Osler, and I'm playing the character of Sterling. CMG8, portraying Holloway. My name is Dero Williams Sr. I play Wolf. All right, y'all. Two Trains Running is a play by August Wilson, again, set in 1969 in a little rural area in Pittsburgh, where at that time, gentrification was real hot. The city had decided to buy up a bunch of property and, and rebuild. And we're going to talk today about what gentrification looks like in 2022 with the cast of Two Trains Running. Uh, and, and so I'm just going to start off with the first question, and this is for anybody. Uh, how much different do you think gentrification is impacting in 2022 as it did in 1969? I believe in 1969, there were probably less minorities with property to lose to cities. You know, I think today, you know, being able to acquire some things, you have a little bit more to lose especially your neighborhood. This is what you know and everybody you know. You know, and if the city comes to take it over, you don't really have much say. Okay, all right. Anybody else with that? I think the interesting thing is that the play was set in 1969 and nothing's really changed. Mm. We're still dealing with that same issue in our community right now. So I think it's just, you know, something that uh, something that we're trying to fight against, but it's an uphill battle the whole time. Absolutely. Absolutely. The play is set uh, in a diner uh, that is owned by a character by the name of Memphis. And Memphis is one of the last to give up his spot. He, he's determined to not take what the white man is going to give him, but what he feels he is deserving of his, uh, his property, his business, that he, you know, he came to grow himself. Um, Risa is one of the characters who works at the diner, uh, and she sits back and she hears all these uh, interesting members of the community come through. Um, Risa, what stands out most to you about gentrification and, and black businesses in communities uh, that tend to get forced out? Yeah, I think that um, especially the way that black people are in general, we're like very community-based. We are 
um, we like to be surrounded with uh, culture and things like that. And I find that when things start getting moved out, they're getting replaced with other things. And it's just creating this loss of culture and this loss of identity with like black people, especially um, the idea that people think that black people don't own businesses like, you know, and things like that, you know, but really we own these places, we own this land, we own these businesses, but we're being pushed out um, to make room for other things and it obviously has an impact on our community and our culture. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll chime in too just on the topic because, you know, it sounds like the play. I'm not familiar with it. I'm looking forward to coming to Axe on stage and supporting. So all y'all come, make sure you buy your tickets, hop on their website, get your tickets, come support Black Art, Black Owned, Black Operated. Y'all get it popping. So, uh, but I do know like really what's going on in the Seattle area. And, you know, back in the day, we were really kind of redlined into certain areas where we can live, which created community, right? We had community, a sense of community, even though we were under-resourced. <clears throat> um, but now it's like people, you know, people are just going where they can afford. And it's not like we have enough resources to say, oh, we're all going to go move here. You know what I'm saying? So we had a sense of community before with the CD and the South End. And now as we get pushed out, people are just really going where they can afford, afford to buy and or, or rent. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it was always a mix of owning and, and folks renting and businesses and things like that. But now folks are really just being, it's really the pressures. You know, the city's not necessarily, it sounds like the city was expanding and buying in the play, but that's not necessarily what's happening. But people are just being priced out. Elders, you know, taxes are being taxed out. Uh, even though there's programs that, you know, you can get reduced taxes, but it's like you've got to know how to navigate those and, and so on and so forth. And then also, you know, we, we got gentrified also with the drug epidemic, you know, the crack, crack epidemic. You know, a lot of people didn't, you know, now it's funny how we see it now. It's a, considered a mental health issue. You know, but back when we were dealing with it and really struggling with it, it wasn't a mental health issue. And, and we didn't understand that either. So, you know, grandma was putting or uncles or whatever putting their houses up, not knowing that, that that's not your nephew or niece or whatever, that, that, that you know, they're not going to show up to court even though they say they're going to because they're having mental health, they're having mental health issues. So a lot of, we lost a lot of our resources during, during that, that time as well with the, with the bail bonds and, you know, this losing property. So I just want to add that into the into the conversation and that's that's crucial even implicated in the play itself uh, there's a character uh, Holloway uh, Angel aka Bobo as I know him best plays this character and this is the character that it that a lot of us are familiar with in the community is a storyteller the one who knows all the business um, and so I wanted to say ask uh, Bobo what is your interpretation of what's being and how it's being affected in the areas in which we used to live. Because uh, I, you know, I'm familiar with you that you still are one of the fortunate ones to stay in our community. Um, but what have you seen and how have you seen changes? Because I really don't try to concentrate on that. I'm trying to concentrate on what I'm looking forward to. Instead of like looking what's going on around me, see what I'm going to do for me and mine. Instead of worrying about what's not there. Make it. Make something there. I don't really don't. I don't want to say I don't care, but it really don't concern me because all you can do is you only can talk so much, but you got to do something about it. So I'm ready to do. I just like to do it. I don't like to be like, oh, no, take care of it. And that way you ain't got nothing to cry about. It ain't, gonna be easy. It ain't supposed to be easy, but shit, it ain't supposed to be hard either. Hey, if I could add on to that point, man, Nicole, uh, just to add what you were saying, I think some of us in the community like right now have that same I'm gonna get it done attitude. But sometimes we don't know how to like channel that properly pro properly so we can be 
that Memphis that owns the diner, yeah, or be that West that has the uh, the insight, the 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 million dollars from his business. What, yeah. what, what is his business? Funeral home. Funeral home. Right, right, right. So, 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 so instead, we take we take our limited our limited skills and that ambition, and then boom, you know, now now we now we didn't caught our first case. Right. Yet. There's one thing you can establish that a lot of people don't know what they do. You have to establish your credit. You get your credit to a proper status, and you can achieve anything you want to. They don't talk about doing that, though. Well, they, That's how they're able to do what they're able to do, because they have that credit status. Well, that goes back to where they had it to where they wouldn't loan you was black. They're not giving you a loan from the bank. And there were properties in, in, in the hood that stayed vacant because they, people wouldn't rent to you because you were black as if these businesses wouldn't thrive in a black community. It's just that they were not, they weren't given the opportunity to. And it still, it still hampers us though, what Bobo was saying, the financial literacy piece. That's something that needs to be, and I, I, I use the metaphor, it needs to be taught like a jump shot. It needs to be taught like throwing a baseball or football. That needs to be taught to our kids. And I'm from that era, no doubt. I was born in the 60s, but I was never taught about financial literacy because mm -hmm. my grandparents had to work a different way to get what they wanted and yeah. keep it. Yeah. My grandmother's home is still in our family in the central district of Seattle right now. And it's crazy. My mom will not move out of there. Mm. And she's been offered. First offer was a quarter of a million dollars. The next offer was a million dollars. She's been offered that. But it's more important for her to keep it for, as you said, the culture, what, what, how she grew up, that neighborhood. And to be honest, it was all black when I lived there. Yeah. There's now two black families that own homes on that, that street now. Yeah. Wow. You know, but it, it's that financial literacy that we're talking about. They, we have to teach ourselves, our kids, our people, how to manage and keep wealth yeah. within generations as well. And we're so far behind right now. It's gonna, I mean, my kids don't even have generational wealth. Right. But their kids need to have generational wealth. There's also a character in the play uh, by the name of Hambone. It's played by uh, Hendo, uh, Ernest Henderson. And um, it's a character who is of very few words, but says a lot. Very few words, but says a lot. Uh, he's an uh, army vet, and, and he was wronged uh, in something that he should have had. Uh, and the way he fights to keep what he feels like he deserves that whole I'm willing to die for what's right, what's mine. Um, Ernest, I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about that and, and what that looks like in the black community or the lack thereof right now. But see, it's from where everything that I've seen and I, I compare it back to Mama Nim. Like he said, they, have, they had a different insight on how to get what they want. They work for it, and I'm not talking about the easy way. Mm -hmm. They went up, <clears throat> like Mahalia Jackson said, the rough side of the mountain. They used to doing things the rough way. And I used to ask grandma, why do you always do things the hard way? She said, because it's human nature for you to take the shortcuts. Mm -hmm. But if you take the shortcuts, you're not going to learn what you need to learn to, to maintain that level of freaking stability. All right, oh, okay. So I took that. And I raised my kids to do the same thing. I will always teach them the hard way of doing things, especially my sons. 
because they would do, they would take a shortcut in a heartbeat. I'm like, come here, boy. Here's what you do. Do it this way. Why can't we do it this way? Because you're going to do it this way. Because when the computer age crash, you're going to know how to use carbon paper in a freaking typewriter. That's what you need to know. Because when everybody else sit back and say, oh, the internet crashed. Oh, Russia took over the, the website. Good. Break out some carbon paper. Get a typewriter and go for it. Even if you got two fingers, you're still going to get that document submitted to wherever you need to submit because everything now runs off paperwork. Yeah. They, they need to see it in black and white. And it's, I found if you work hard enough for something, you're going to fight just that hard, that harder to keep it. Yeah. If I give you something, you let it go roll over and just be trapped because you didn't have to work for it. Yeah. Just like Memphis. This is Memphis cast his his restaurant. And every time somebody freaking when he get ready to run numbers, he hey no nigga what we doing? I'm sorry, can you say that on camera? You just did. Don't be running no numbers up in here. Five O roll up in here and raid and put me out of business. But he'll still play the numbers. Mm -hmm. He just don't want that trash out to the get out to the public. Absolutely. Because in, you have to shadow. You have to be ready to shadow someone. You're 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 in the biz. If any of my kids, I'm like, hey, go see Isaiah. Why? Just follow him around. Ask him if you can shadow. Him. Find out how how what it took for him to get to where he is. And then you take you put yourself into what you learned from him and make it even better. Mm -hmm. He don't mind you taking what what he's teaching you and making it better. Just make sure that you do it the right way. Yeah. And I think that kind of ties into a lot of. Um, it, you know, everything that everybody's talking about, it's almost like a puzzle that you guys are putting together that says what we are not doing is educating one another, right? And, and coming together and pooling these things together. Um, my man playing Sterling is, um, Sterling is fresh out the prison, fresh out of the pen and looking for what he believes is his. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we are living among a lot of people who we know who are being limited by time they spent in prison or in jail or because they caught a case. Uh, I just wanted to ask if you wanted to, Jante, speak to that. Yeah, definitely. Um, shoot, down the same path that we was already talking, it's, it's like, um, on one hand, Bobo was like, man, you know, financial literacy you know, and then boom, shadow this person and shadow that person. And then what happens to the person, that young dude that might have a relationship issues because he don't have a father in his life. Mm -hmm. He don't know how to go ask for that help that he needs properly. You know, <laughs> he, he, he don't know how to go say, hey, I see you got a business. Can I, you know, boom or or maybe he does and maybe he gets rejected. I mean, you know, like in the play, you Absolutely. know. He, Absolutely. He, there's there, there's there's a little bit of that in the play as well. So, um, yeah, I think that. I think yeah. that we concentrate a lot for us on our on our young black males, like Dre was saying, but that they tend to lean towards a hustle. Right. They start to look for a hustle. Right. And that brings us to Wolf, the character Wolf, played by Daryl, um, and my brother uh, from a same mother. Um, <laughs> Uh, but he's playing Wolf, the numbers runner uh, in the community, who's truly 
welcome and accepted by everyone. You know what I mean? Because he was a, he was a, uh, you know, he, he went throughout the community trying to give, you know, a lending hand. Hey, man, listen, play this number, bro. It might hit. You know what I mean? Never mind that it might get cut. Daryl, did you want to speak to that? A lot of times, that hustler is your role model. Not having a father in most black homes. I know I looked up to the hustler. That's who I wanted to be. You know, and because everybody loves a good hustle story, and and but you don't know that that's it's that, that rags to riches. Yeah, it's yeah. that there's nothing. There's no foundation built around hustling. No 1401k, no medical, no dental, but the vacation plan really sucks. So, it's always necessary in the neighborhood to have somebody like that because we all play a part and we have characters. And like I said, I, I, I like the hustlers in the neighborhood. They dress nice and they were always on somebody's, you know, somebody was always speaking about them, always. Yeah, they drove the nice cars. And like you said, they always, you know, had the, the good look and everything. Uh, Dre, was there anything? Yeah, uh, I want to go back to the financial literacy piece because we've been excluded from those opportunities, right? They're not teaching it in the school. And so a lot of it, it's generational, right? They're taught how the stock market works. Like I'm the first person, in, first generation in my family that's like invested in the stock market. So I'm teaching my son those things now, you know what I mean? And I waited long to get in. I got retirement funds and Roth IRAs and all that stuff, which is retirement funds, but I've never really have bought individual stocks. And I jumped in when COVID hit. I was like, ooh, this joint's dipping. Let me, let's see what's going on, right? And that's when Robinhood and those types of act, apps came out that were a little easier, easier for people to access those things. But part of it, I think Craig talked about it and Jonte too, we got We are the solutions to our problems. We got to, what's a lot of times was missing and systematically they put in a lot of mistrust where it's like you got to get shares and forget everybody else. So we got to build relationships. That's really what Build really focuses on is building partnerships, relationships within the community and within our, our core team and really rocking, you know, and then sharing that type of information. So, okay, folks, as homeowners, okay, we're going to share how we became homeowners. And then, like, right now we got an initiative called Build Black Wealth. So we're doing workshops and we're able to leverage space here as well. We're doing things on Zoom where we're talking about investing in debt management. We're talking about life insurance and estate planning. We're talking about uh, goal setting. We're talking about, um, you know, home ownership. So there's these, these things and we're offering this stuff for free and the classes, they've been filling up. So you guys want to check our website. We have a lot of, a lot of stuff out there, but that's the thing is we always, I believe we always have been the answer and the solution to our problems. We're waiting for somebody else to come fix our problems. It's not in their best interest to do that. Yeah. And so, you know, sharing that knowledge, you know, if everybody, even, you know, as we do our Father's Day event, Mother's Day event, it's not about being a mother or father. It's about being a coach, a mentor. If, every, if each one of us in our community took a young person and put our hands around them and wrapped and, and secured them and made sure that they were all right, then the, the world would be a lot better place. I think sometimes we look at situations, this kind of goes back to what you were saying, is we think the problem is so big that it's like I'm just not going to do now. It's so overwhelming. You know, education, employment, homelessness, criminal justice system. You start looking at all these issues, and it's like, man, it's just... It's so big, but if we could just help one or two, that's what it's about. And if everybody helps one or two, then that's where the real, the real impact. That's community organizing one on one. So if there's five of us on our team and we all we're going to do an event and we all say, hey, everybody, get ten people to come to the event. You got 50 cats at an event. Not only that, this popping, so they're going to bring two to three people. So now you got 100 people at an event real quick. So I think people get 
overcomplicate things and just like with financial literacy and sharing resources and, and sharing information, I think that's also just being in a type of society. It's like I'm going to get mine and I can't really, I'm, I don't want to share. That's the privilege piece. Like I don't really want to share. And we talk about white folks a lot when it comes to privilege, but let's be real. Nobody, I don't want to give opportunities for my son, for your son. That's, that's part of the, the privilege thing, right? So we got to get out of that mentality and be like, hey, man, we all got to win. We all got to do better because if your kid's failing, then my kid's failing and vice versa. So that, you know, I, I, I appreciate the conversation around the financial literacy piece because that's real. The credit is important. You know, decisions that you make, how you invest, your goal setting, where are, you, where are your priorities? You know, we have money, but what are we spending our money on? You know, so that's, that's the thing, but that's all part of the, part of the game. But a lot of our culture has been replaced with, you know, hip-hop, which we owned hip-hop. We ran hip-hop, right? It was liberating, and then they took it over and monetized it, and then once they take it over, it's not really for us no more, right? So, you know, just being careful and conscious of what we're putting in our, in our intaking like that in our kids and, and, and so on and so forth. So I just wanted to add that to the, to the conversation around this. like an education, right? That's a, that's a whole other uh, source of education is hip-hop. Well... I don't want to get on my soapbox, but yeah, like if you, my brother Larry, who's one of my mentors, Larry Evans, like he talks about how they stripped our culture when we got here, right? And so everybody listens to hip hop, you know, immigrants, you know, uh, white kids, everybody listens to hip hop. But what they got is their culture that snapped them back at some point. We don't have no snapback. We end up living the lyrics, you know, so everybody, they gang bang, they do all the stuff that we, we end up living the lyrics because we don't, we're not, we're not, and what we say, we're African-American, Africa's a continent. With hella countries. So yeah. there's a whole bunch of different things going in there. So now we can take tests and try to figure things out, but that has been stripped out, stripped away from us. So we don't know what the rites of passage is. I know my generation, I just turned 40. I know my generation, for me, and it's probably similar for others, I knew people were grown when they went from the juvenile to the county. That's when we knew you was a grown man. Yep. And so that's, yeah. that's not it, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and then we got more people coming to funerals than graduations, you know what I'm saying? So it's like we got, but that's also what they've, pushed on us. You know what I'm saying? That's the negative stuff. Like, we're not, we're tribal folks. We're community folks, but they, they push that we're going to, you know, crabs in the barrel and all that. That's not really who we are at our core and our nature, but that's what, when you put people in situations and you under-resource them, that's what I talked about. We were redlined, so there was a sense of community, but it was under-resourced, and that's where, and then you start throwing drugs, alcohol, guns, and these types of things in there, then what do you think is going to happen? You know, it, 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 systems are working the way they were designed to work. There's a part in the play where I ask, who do I think has more money if it's Wes or Prophet Samuel? And Holloway re responds, <laughs> I would say Wes because more people are dying than getting saved. <laughs> you know, going to it's church. It's a better business. Yeah, it's a better business. So, yeah, he got, Wes has money. He hasn't even counted Absolutely. because of the funeral business he's in. Absolutely. Well, we're going to wrap this up, but I want to say that the reason we're able to do what we're doing, you're here at Axon Stage with us. Axon Stage is owned and operated by Michelle Lang Raymond and myself, and we've had this opportunity to create and, and bring together uh, communities of people who this is now that home. This is now that home like the diner where we get to come and help create solutions to a lot of our own problems, as, as Dr. Dre was saying. Um, and so we want everybody to tune in. This 2022 here at BUILD, and we want y'all to come join us on behalf of BUILD, Acts on Stage, and Two Trains Running. Peace, y'all. Stay in touch. Check out our website, build206.com. 
We're about to make this stuff happen, man. It's up to us. We are the solutions to our problem. We are the answer. I want to thank you all for being a part of this. And uh, Axe on stage, always uh, for rocking with us and making sure that we have the space. And behind the camera, we got Dancing in the Rain Media. We appreciate them yeah, yeah. making things happen, keeping things, keeping things funky. Thanks for having us. Yes, all right, y'all. Peace and God bless. Bye.